0: This is Expand the Zone, a Major League Baseball podcast brought to you by The Score.
1: Let's just be above replacement level. I don't give a crap. Sign Bryce Harper. I want to see good players hit baseballs far and strike out. Oh my god, the size of that man. This
0: is a tangent, but whatever.
1: I can say in earnest that I I do think the end is near. What is going on, people? It is Monday, October 5th. I'm your host, Jonah Bierenbaum, joined remotely by my intrepid co-host, Michael Bradburn. That's me. On the docket today, we'll preview the divisional series rounds by selecting X-Factors for each team. Before we get into that, a friendly reminder to download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. And if you dig Expand the Zone, it's available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, so be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And today's episode is presented by Volkswagen. Whatever your definition of family is, there's an SUVW that suits it. Okay, the wildcard round is history. The surviving eight teams have made their way into their respective bubbles, and on Monday, the best-of-five league division series round will get underway. Once each series begins, they will not rest until the series is over. So, without further ado, we're going to pick out X-Factors for each team in the LDS, those players who could swing the series in their team's favor, and let's start with the series that gets underway first, the Houston Astros and Oakland Athletics Series, which will take place at Dodger Stadium with Oakland, the higher-seeded club, serving as the home team in Games 1, 2, and if necessary, 5. We do know the pitching matchups for Games 1 and 2. For Oakland, it'll be Chris Bassett taking the mound in Game 1 opposite Lance McCullers, who did not pitch for Houston in their opening round series. And in Game 2, it'll be left-hander Sean Maniah going for Oakland with Framber Valdez, who pitched in relief for Houston in the wildcard round, starting for the Astros. This is the less sexy of the American League Division Series matchups in my estimation. However, there's some intrigue here. There's some bad blood between Houston and Oakland. They brawled earlier this year, and Liam Hendricks of the Athletics said coming in that they would relish the opportunity to send the Astros home. Anyways, Michael, who is your X Factor for Houston? Let's start with the Astros.
0: Yeah, for Houston, I'm going to go with Alex Bregman, and maybe that's considered low-hanging fruit, but the Astros handily dispatched of the Twins, and Bregman's bat was of really no help. He went one for seven with a pair of walks, so his plate discipline was still very, very good, as you'd expect from Bregman, but his like bat didn't show up, so if this team is going to advance against the A's I think Bregman needs to be there and of note only three hitters with at least 20 at-bats against Sean Mania have a 1000 OPS against the A's lefty and Bregman's one of them Mike Trout is one of the others and Elvis Andrews surprisingly the other guy Bregman can mash against Mania. that's really not surprising at all but I think Bregman is going to need to get going in this particular series what about you
1: Yeah, I too am taking a position player for the Astros, a star-level position player for that matter, because runs are going to be at a premium. We know what Oakland's strength is, that's run suppression, and so it's going to be incumbent on Houston's star hitters to deliver. And so I'm going with George Springer, who, like Bregman, was very, very quiet in their opening round matchup against Minnesota. He went just one for nine with no walks, which is highly uncharacteristic for Springer. He's the spark plug for this lineup. When he's getting on base regularly, the Astros are winning more often than not. During the regular season, in games where he reached base twice, the Astros went 17-9. and They're winning 65% of their games when Springer is locked in and getting on base more than once. And given how their offense struggled during the regular season, given how Jose Altuve looks completely lost still, they're going to need Springer to step up and be the catalyst that he has been for this team for, for so long.
0: For sure. Yeah, that's a great pick. It's honestly kind of surprising how the Astros even advanced against the Twins. And they, like, swept. And really, it was only, like, Carlos Correa and Michael Brantley that showed up on the offensive side. Car- Kyle Tucker had, like, a fine series, but everybody else was kind of ho-hum.
1: And that's sort of how it's been for them this year. In a given series, it's only, like, two of their star-level hitters actually delivering. But when your opposition is only putting up one run, you don't have to do all that much. hmm So who is the athletics X-Factor?
0: Yeah, on the other side, I'm going to go with a pitcher this time in Jesus Lazardo. Mm-hmm. He's coming off a pretty rough start, I'd say, in Game 1 against the White Sox. He's going to need to have to bounce back. And for like a young left-hander who is facing a really, really deep and complete lineup in the White Sox, he's not going to get any easy outs on the Astros' side either, really. He's going to need to factor in some way here. We don't know when he's going to start or maybe if he's going to start. He might get used in a bullpen role. I doubt it but it'll just be interesting to see how Bob Melvin chooses to use him and how quick that hook is if he runs into trouble against the Astros because I think they're really going to need innings from him in a five-game series with, as you mentioned, no rest days.
1: Completely agree, and he is my X factor as well. I wonder if he might not follow an opener. With Bob Melvin going to a right-hander for the first inning to neutralize, say, Springer and Bregman, and then going to the left-hander, Lazardo for a bulk outing. But in any event, you're absolutely right. They need innings out of this kid, and he's the guy in their rotation who has the potential to elevate their rotation from ho-hum to really good. Mm. At times this year, he's looked like a number four starter. At times this year, he's looked like a number two. And his September very much typified how volatile his season has been. In his first September outing, he didn't make it through five, gave up four runs. Next time out, he gave up two earned runs over seven innings. Next time out, four earned runs over four and two thirds. Next time out, six scoreless. The talent is there. The consistency is not what you would expect of a 22-year-old rookie. But he might ultimately dictate how far this team goes. Chris Bassett is almost certainly going to give him a competitive outing. Sean Maniah, likely as well. But... In a best-of-five, even with a deep bullpen, you're going to need another starter to step up. If he does, I I like Oakland's chances, but if not, not so much. And it's entirely possible that he's pitching with their season on the line in Game 3. You never know. But regardless, he's going to be pitching in a very high-leverage spot in this series, and which version of him shows up may well determine Oakland's fate. For sure. Couldn't agree more. All right, moving on, let's talk about the New York Yankees and Tampa Bay Rays series. This one will take place at Petco Park in San Diego. The Rays have lined up their pitchers for games one through three. They'll have left-hander Blake Snell going in game one, followed by right-handers Tyler Glasnow and Charlie Morton. The Yankees, however, have only committed to ace Garrett Cole for game one. We don't know who's going to start games two and three. We suspect it'll be Masahiro Tanaka and either J-Hap or Davey Garcia, but that has yet to be confirmed. This is going to be a really compelling series. These teams, just like Houston and Oakland, got into a bit of an imbroglio earlier this year, and there's no love lost here. You could very much make the argument that these are the two best teams in the American League. Who's your X-Factor for the New York Yankees? Let's start with them.
0: I'm going to go with presumptive Game 2 starter, and he's not specifically tabbed yet, uh, but Masahiro Tanaka. We know that Garrett Cole can go toe-to-toe with Blake Snell. We know that. Uh, we don't know who's going to win that game, obviously. It's going to be very close. It's going to be a good game. But Tanaka going toe-to-toe with glass now is a little bit worrying. And if they can manage to take that game, then going with either Jay hap or Davey Garcia or Jordan Montgomery in Game 3 against Charlie Morton looks a little bit better. So they're going to need a strong and good outing from Masahiro Tanaka, unlike he did against Cleveland when he got a little bit rocked in there eventual victory anyways, and the Rays lineup is a lot deeper and a lot more complete than what he faced in Cleveland as well, so I'm going with Tanaka.
1: Yeah, an uncharacteristic postseason stinker for Tanaka, who prior to that had been one of the best postseason pitchers ever by ERA, and there were some mitigating factors too. His start was delayed by rain, and then the bottom of the first was interrupted by a subsequent rain delay, so I suspect that that messed with his rhythm, but Couldn't agree more. They're going to need Tanaka to be at his best in game two. I, however, am going with the man who will likely be catching for Masahiro Tanaka in game two in Gary Sanchez, and not because of what he can do offensively and the ability he has to deepen an already terrifying Yankees lineup. Rather, I think controlling Tampa Bay's running game is going to be absolutely imperative in this series. The Tampa Bay Rays are more aggressive than virtually every other team in baseball on the base paths. They finished 6th in the majors this year with 48 stolen bases, but they finished 4th in stolen base rate at 84%. They're an incredibly aggressive and an incredibly efficient base-stealing team. And it's really, really important that the Yankees find a way to contain that, at least a little bit. Sanchez, in past years, has earned plaudits for his throwing arm, but his ability to throw out potential base-stealers has been much, much closer to league average for the last couple seasons. This year, it was at 26%, which was exactly league average. Last year, it was only 23%, which was four percentage points below league average. So that's not really an area in which he excels anymore. And I imagine that's something that Tampa Bay is going to look to exploit. And obviously, stolen base rate isn't entirely contingent on what a catcher does. Pitchers bear responsibility for controlling the running game as well. But... Sanchez, who has struggled so mightily offensively this year, is really going to be put to the test defensively in this series. And I do wonder if the Rays run wild on him in, say, Game 2, because he won't be catching in Game 1 with Garrett Cole going, that'll go to Kyle Higashioka, if Yankees manager Aaron Boone ultimately decides for the remainder of the series to stick with Higgy because he might present a better option at controlling Tampa Bay's running game.
0: Yeah, the most frustrating part about Gary Sanchez, as as you're hitting on perfectly, is the fact that like sometimes he just looks lazy behind the plate. Like he just doesn't get down and block difficult pitches with runners on. And it must be incredibly frustrating to be a Yankees fan when he's back there doing that. Not or really. a Yankees pitcher. Seriously.
1: Because he's he's just so. been so prone to pass balls and he, he doesn't instill a lot of confidence defensively.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's a great pick. Thinking outside the box, Jonah.
1: We're an independent race.
0: You got to. When you're facing Kevin Cash, you got to think outside the box. Well said. Who's Tampa Bay's X-Factor? I've got G-Man Choi because I don't love uh, pitcher versus hitter stats, to be perfectly honest. Um, I know I use them in the Astros X-Factor as well. But G-Man Choi owns Garrett Cole, like owns. Mm. He's 8 for 12 in his career with three homers and three walks. He's the only hitter with like a minimum seven at-bats with an OPS over 2000 against Garrett Cole Ugh. and Choi has been facing Cole when he's been good Cole too like there are other hitters on this list who are good against Cole but they're like Christian Yelich and Nolan Arenado back when he was Pirates Garrett Cole who wasn't nearly as good so yeah I've got Choi and I've got him going deep off of Cole in game one
1: wow I really like that pick too because there's a strong possibility that if this series goes five games that Garrett Cole pitches game five on short rest. So G-Man Choi, if a game five is necessary, is probably going to get his opportunities. So that's a great call. I myself am going with Willie Adamas, primarily because he's one of the few guys in Tampa Bay's lineup who's in there every single day. Mm. Him and Brandon Lau are pretty much the only two guys who are guaranteed to start every single game. He had a very quiet wildcard round series against Toronto. He went just one for six with a walk. Obviously, it was only two games, but it was still somewhat disappointing following a really, really impressive regular season. And as one of the mainstays, one of the guys who doesn't get swapped out, no matter who's on the mound, righty or lefty, they need him to deliver. He now hits in the middle of their lineup, too. So he's coming up, presumably, in a lot of run-producing opportunities. And I don't know how many run-scoring opportunities you can afford to squander against a Yankees team that puts a lot of runs on the board.
0: Yeah, for sure. The Rays are plug-and-play team. Even Choi will be pinch-hit for, I'm sure, aggressively. But Adamas plays that premium shortstop position and took a huge step forward offensively this year. So, another nice pick by Jonah.
1: You're too kind. All right, so let's shift gears and focus on the National League. And let's start with the Dodgers-Padres series, which will take place at Globe Life Field in Arlington. And... As of this recording, we have no idea what the pitching matchups are going to be because we don't know if Mike Clevenger and Dinelson Lamette, who did not pitch for the Padres in their wildcard round series, will be healthy enough to pitch in the division series. We do know that the Dodgers are sticking with the games one and two starter that they used in the first round. They're going to go with Walker Buehler in game one, followed by Clayton Kershaw in game two. And I'm pretty excited for this series if Clevenger and Lamette ultimately aren't healthy It does take away some of the intrigue and cachet, because as you alluded to on our previous episode, this looks like it's a proverbial round one between two powerhouses, one long established and one burgeoning. But in any event, this is going to be an entertaining series.
0: Yeah, this is the series where it feels most exposed that the playoffs didn't do reseeding. Why are the Dodgers facing the Padres here when, like, the Braves and Marlins is the other matchup? Shouldn't the Padres be facing the Braves and the Dodgers be facing the Marlins? Like, I don't know. I don't know why they didn't that. Seems do that seems fairest, yeah. Yeah. Especially, too, like, as a greedy baseball fan, like, I just want to see a seven-game series from the Dodgers and Padres in the championship series. That would be way more entertaining, and it would give more time for Clevenger and Lamette to get healthy. Not guaranteeing that the Padres would beat the Braves, to be fair. The Braves are a very, very good team, too, but I'm just saying. That's what I would rather be seeing.
1: Yeah, you and everyone else. These are just the two best teams in the National League. The Dodgers and Padres, that is.
0: For sure. And it's kind of a shame we're seeing one of them get bounced this early because they didn't recede.
1: Yeah, couldn't agree more. Who's your X Factor for the Padres?
0: For the Padres, I'm going to go with Mike Clevenger. As you noted, we don't know if he's going to even pitch this series. News as of Monday morning is that they're optimistic that he's going to be able to pitch in some capacity. I have to assume that's at least an abbreviated start, whereas Lamette, they're less optimistic about returning. So yeah, I'm going with Clevenger because they kind of need him. They they really do need one of those guys in order to hang with the Dodgers because the Dodgers are perfectly built.
1: Yeah, like I've said, even this Padres team at full strength would have had their hands full with the Dodgers. I'm going to go with Zach Davies, who was their de facto number two this year, who I guess became their number three once they acquired Clevenger, but he was outstanding. Pitched to a sub-three ERA, a sub-four FIP, and a one oh seven whip during the regular season, and he did not show up in his game two start against St. Louis. He lasted just two innings, gave up four runs, and they're going to need more from him this series, irrespective of what Clevenger and Lamette can or cannot do. If they can't go... He takes on a heightened significance. And if they can go, he's still probably going to be their game three starter. So he will likely have the ball in his hands with the opportunity to either swing the series in their favor, to pitch them into the championship series, which seems frankly unlikely, or to stave off elimination. So Zach Davies, no matter what, is going to play a very, very prominent role in this best of five. And if the Padres hope to upset the Dodgers, they need Davies to look like the guy he was. During the regular season, not the guy he was over two shaky innings against St. Louis.
0: For sure. Another thing to note about Davies too, he's kind of a fly ball pitcher and they're moving to Globe Life Field, which as we've noted previously on episodes, suppressed home runs better than any park in all of baseball this season. Petco Park is a pretty good pitcher haven as well. But yeah, that's something to monitor at least.
1: Yeah, it's pretty interesting too because he spent the first five years of his career pitching at Miller Park, which is... Decidedly hitter-friendly, and then he comes over to the spacious confines of Petco Park and puts up the worst home run rate of his career. Pretty counterintuitive.
0: It's actually kind of interesting to follow Petco Park uh, park factors because over the past three seasons, it's becoming slightly more neutral. And yeah, the only theory behind it from like park factor experts is global warming, which is fascinating and troubling. Well
1: said. Who's the uh, Dodgers X Factor?
0: Yeah, this is going to be a cop-out, but I'm taking Dave Roberts. The The eyes are on him, to be perfectly honest. This team, as I said, is perfectly built. So it's going to need to be perfectly managed, because sometimes Dave Roberts does things that makes you scratch your head. And honestly, if they lose this series, I kind of think his job's on the line. So I'm going with him.
1: I feel like we've been saying that for so long, that, oh, if the Dodgers don't win this year, it's going to be Roberts' head, but... I don't know if that's true, especially in the wake of a 60-game season where perhaps teams will be more inclined to give managers a free pass.
0: Yeah, I did expect owners to be a little bit more forgiving, but, I mean, Klintock has taken a new role with the Phillies, which I'm sure was not mutual decision. Yeah, yeah, Billy um, Epler
1: out as Angels GM too. So so <laughs> it's true. Maybe I'm wrong. You're probably
0: right. Like, Friedman probably still wants to stick with his guy in Roberts after – the team won literally 43 games. So you're probably right. I just mean like if they lose to an injured Padres squad in five games, I think he might be in trouble. That's all I mean.
1: Yeah, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if they went in either direction. If they decided to give him a free pass by virtue of the weirdness of the season or if they decided to get rid of him because they've won eight consecutive division titles now and still don't have a World Series to show for it. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I myself am going with Max Muncy, who continues to struggle at the plate. He had a really, really disappointing regular season, and he went hitless in two games against Milwaukee. Went 0 for 5 with four strikeouts. He did take a couple of walks, but he is their cleanup hitter, even still. Even as he struggled, Dave Roberts kept slotting him into the number four spot. Muncy hit cleanup for them in both games against the Brewers, and he keeps leaving runners on the table. He hit only 192 this year, and... It's crazy to think of how good the Dodgers' league-leading offense would have been if Muncie had been more reliable, because he came up to the plate during the regular season with 150 base runners on. That's the third most on the team. But he drove in only 17 of those. That's 11.3%. League average, 16%. And that mark of 113 was second worst among the Dodgers with at least 100 plate appearances. Max Buncey has not been the run producer that he has been over the last couple of seasons. And while it hasn't come back to bite the Dodgers yet against a prolific San Diego offense, even the Dodgers can't afford to be squandering run scoring opportunities, leaving runners on base. He was was not good this year. Not at all. And yet he keeps hitting in the middle of their lineup when Dave Roberts could be penciling in Will Smith or AJ Pollock in that spot. Guys who have had tremendous success of late.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been their strength, too, the, the Dodgers. The fact that they would, like, quickly go at depth pieces or, like, move guys around in the batting order. That's that's something the Dodgers do. And for some reason, as you've noted, not really caring about Muncie's production. They just keep putting them in there.
1: All right, so moving on, then, let's talk about our final series. That would be the Braves and Marlins series, which will take place at Minute Maid Park in Houston. We're not sure yet who Miami is going to start in games one or two, or three for that matter. We do know, however, that Atlanta is going to go with their games one and two starters from their wildcard round series against Cincinnati, with left-hander Max Fried going in game one, right-hander Ian Anderson going in game two, and then in game three, they're going to throw out Kyle Wright, the young right-hander who did not pitch in their opening round series and who had a wildly disappointing regular season with Atlanta. I may have spilled the beans there a little, but who is your X-factor for the Braves?
0: Yeah, it's going to be Wright. We know what Max Fried can do. We've seen what Ian Anderson did against the Reds. He was unbelievable. Plus the fact that both of those guys only really need to throw six strong innings against the Marlins because this bullpen is elite. But Kyle Wright is legitimately bad. I I feel bad saying that. He was a first-round pick. He was the first prospect out of the 2017 draft to make the majors even as well so like the pedigree is there and yet he posted a 520 era 590 fip over 38 innings this year in a role that like he just needed to fill the braves needed starts so they threw right out there for eight starts this year and he got shelled his 5.68 walk per nine was almost equal to his 7k per nine it was a rough year for kyle wright I don't know if there were better options for the Braves, to be perfectly honest, with Cole Hamels and Mike Soroka shelved, but I don't know what to do with Kyle Wright starting this game. Like, Snicker's going to have to be quick with the hook, I think.
1: Yeah, they simply didn't have any better starting options. And like you, I'm going with Wright. Because if he can find a way to give them five competitive innings, that would make such a difference for them in this series, I think. But based on his body of work, it's going to be a struggle. Not only was he unable to throw strikes this year, as you alluded to, he couldn't turn a lineup over. First time going through, no problem. But second time he has to face an opposing lineup, they put up an OPS of almost 1,100 against him. I will say that he looked better towards the end of the regular season over his final three starts. He posted an ERA of 2.37. but the peripherals there aren't the most encouraging. He had only 14 strikeouts over 19 innings. Was still walking a lot of guys, and it's hard to have confidence in him, ultimately.
0: At worst, through two games for the Braves, you're expecting to go 1-1 and against the Marlins, right? So you want Wright to either be looking for the sweep or be looking for the go-ahead in the series. And that's a very tall task to ask a pitcher who has just not had any command at the Major League level. So, yeah, that's the game to watch in this series. And the Marlins' offense is not terrible, Well,
1: maybe it is. Sort of the worst-case scenario is they split the first two games. Wright goes in Game 3, gives them even five innings, but then the Braves parade out all their top relievers in Game 3 and lose, and then they're playing for their lives in Game 4, having used up all of their key bullpen guys the day prior.
0: With Freed and Anderson unable to start because, again, there are no off days this series.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then you have to go to I uh, I I don't even know. Like the corpse of Tommy Malone. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I was gonna say the corpse of Cole Hamels, to be honest, but Corpse Hamels. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I honestly don't know who they would start in game four. Josh Tomlin? Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me if like they went to Tomlin for three, like one trip through the lineup. Or yeah. maybe like started or rather opened with a left hander, then went to Tomlin for two or three.
0: Yeah. That's not a bad call.
1: They're gonna have to get creative ultimately.
0: Yeah, I mean they need the Freed and Anderson wins, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. They just need those. Mm-hmm. So maybe Freed and Anderson are actually the X Factors and we're just getting fancy with Kyle Wright. Mm. I
1: don't know. Well, on that note, let's move on to our final team, the Miami Marlins, who is their X Factor for the series.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna go with Brian Anderson, who was their best position player and tied for the Marlins lead in WRC plus with Jesus Aguilar but did not show up in the Cubs series at all. Despite sweeping the Cubs, Brian Anderson went 0-9 for 9 with four strikeouts. It was bad, and honestly, I really do think the Marlins need Brian Anderson. This lineup is not deep enough to have a guy like that not show up for a five-game series against a great pitching staff in the Braves.
1: Yeah, I like that call. I myself am going with Matt Joyce because he's one of only two left-handed hitters in Miami's lineup. It's him and Corey Dickerson. Pretty much everyone else is right-handed. Jesus Aguilar, Anderson, Garrett Cooper, John Birdie, Miguel Rojas. And Atlanta's pitching staff is overwhelmingly right-handed. With the exception of Freed, all their other starting options are right-handed. And the guys at the back end of their bullpen, Shane Green, Mark Melanson, Chris Martin, all those guys are right-handed too. And I think that's going to present a challenge for the bulk of Miami's hitters. And they're going to need their left-handed hitters like Matt Joyce, to step up. And Joyce, for his career, the one tool or ability that has kept him in the big leagues for 13 seasons is his ability to hit right-handed pitching. For his career, he has an OPS north of 800 against righties. It's below 600 against lefties. This is what he does, and they're going to need him to contribute offensively in the series if they hope to have any chance, I believe. He very much contributed in their wild card round against the Cubs, We'll also use two right-handed starters, reach base three times in his seven plate appearances, notch an extra base hit, and he's got to keep on doing that. For sure. All right, prediction time. A's, Astros, who do you got?
0: I've got the A's and five. I don't feel confident about it, to be perfectly honest. I'm really scared of this Astros team, but I just, I can't pick them. I can't pick them to win because I know I'll be rooting against them. What about you?
1: Well, seeing as this is... 2020, and you can reliably bank on the worst outcome always (laughs) happening. I'm going with Astros in four.
0: Yeah. Uh, Rays-Yankees, who you got? I've got Rays in three. This Rays team is unbelievably good, and I think we're all uh, underappreciating them. We're all underrating them. They truly showed how dominant they were in that opening wildcard series against the Jays. I know the Jays were just like a little bit worse in every single aspect, but the Rays are just so dominant and I think they're in their head a little bit. If they beat Cole, they will finish the series in 3.
1: That's a big if, and I can't resist my impulse to underestimate the Rays. I'm going to continue to do that and go with the Yankees in 5 mm. with Garrett Cole propelling them into the American League Championship Series with a game 5 jam on short rest for the Yankees. All right. Are we going to agree at all in this episode? We'll see. Uh, first, you got to tell me who you're going with in the Dodgers-Padres series.
0: I've got Dodgers in three. I desperately want to see this series go to five or even four, but this Dodgers lineup is way too good. The pitching also favors Los Angeles, and I hope I'm wrong. What about you?
1: They're the Dodgers, so they do tend to make it more difficult than it needs to be. Los Angeles in five. Who you got? Braves Marlins. Braves Marlins.
0: Yeah, this one's tough. I think I'm going to go Marlins in five. Wow. Yeah. uh, They just have never lost a playoff series. Obviously, it's not predictive in any way. But man, like they just keep winning playoff series. They can't stop winning them, even though they've been trash their entire existence. Like this team has two World Series championships, has never lost a playoff series, and has never won the division. I don't know how they do this but they keep doing it, and this Braves team is a little bit vulnerable, and even though they beat the Reds like kind of resoundingly, I suppose, in a two-game sweep, the offense did not look that great. And I know Trevor Bauer and Luis Castillo are unbelievably good, but this Marlins pitching staff is not terrible either. So, yeah, I think I'm going Marlins in five.
1: I applaud your intrepidness. I'm,
0: I'm starting to think intrepid is a synonym for idiotic when you use it.
1: (laughs) There's a fine line, my friend. There's a fine line. I believe the streak stops here. I don't believe that as good as their pitchers are, they can keep this Braves lineup down for a second straight series, if you will. The Braves dramatically outscored Miami during their season series, outscoring them by 24 runs. And I think Atlanta dispels this idea that Miami is a respectable club. Braves in three.
0: That's the smart call. You're you're smart. You're a smarter person Thank than you. me. Thank
1: you. Thank you, Michael. And on that note, I think that'll about do it for today's episode of Expand the Zone. Once more, before we sign off, a friendly reminder to download the Score app available on iPhone and Android. And if you dig the podcast, it's available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. So be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. That's Michael. I'm Jonah. We'll see you next time on Expand the Zone.